This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. I'm Molly Dyer. The date of this episode is December 2nd, 2020. If you're listening, wherever in the world you are, I hope you're safe, healthy, maintaining your social distance, and doing whatever you can to take care of your fellow humans. Or, at the very least, doing your best to cause them no harm. The topic of today's episode is moon magic. This is part one of a two-part episode. Next week's episode will continue this week's episode. You get it. When people think of moon reverence in religion and spirituality, I imagine their thoughts go right to witchcraft and paganism. And images of chanting witches in long flowing hooded cloaks billowing in the light breeze as they dance around a fire, illuminated by the bright, silvery rays of the impossibly giant full moon overhead. Can you envision that? Or is that just me? Probably not just me. Movies, books, TV shows, you can find portrayals of moon worship like that all over the place. So the reverence for the moon sets us witches and pagans apart from other religions. It's decidedly pagan in its origins, this moon worship and reverence. Except it's not. At all. What? In the Hindu religion, the celebration of Diwali happens on the new moon, when the sun enters Libra. And the Chinese Mid-Autumn Festival happens over the full moon in the eighth lunar month. And the Chinese New Year happens on the second new moon following winter solstice. But we're talking about Hinduism, Chinese folk religions, and Buddhism. Hinduism and many of the Chinese folk religions are pagan. If you follow the definition of paganism as being outside of the three Abrahamic religions, parenthetically, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So maybe those examples don't count because they're still under the paganism umbrella. But did you know that Jewish Passover is always celebrated on the full moon? Did you know that the Christian Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus was said to have risen from the dead after being in his tomb for three days, did you know That Christian holiday is celebrated on the first Sunday after the first full moon following the spring equinox. What? Again, yes, Christians are practicing a form of moon worship. Really? Eh, Sort of. It's more reverence, like I've been saying. It's probably also a signpost for them because we didn't used to have calendars, but we had these bright things in the sky that lit up from time to time. But how weird are we witches and pagans, actually, if there are Abrahamic religions practicing similar moon reverence? Is that their magic? Does that make us less weird? Mm, Probably not. Magic is our thing. We should embrace our weirdness and our eternal place as the weirdos, mister. The moon's gravitational pull moves the tides on the earth. Think about the graceful ebb and flow of the sea, how it moves exactly as it's supposed to move, and how it has moved for millions of years. And think about the power of waves crashing against the shore when the tide comes in. 
That's all the moon's gravitational pull. Now consider that the human body is at least 60% water. I don't believe it's merely conjecture to say that the moon also moves us, we humans. For example, more murders and violent crimes occur during the new moon than in a full moon. In fact, the Latin word for moon is luna, which you've most likely heard, which is the root of the word lunatic in French and lunatic in Middle English. We still use that word now. Lunatic literally translates in English to the belief that changes in the moon caused intermittent insanity. That's where I come back and say, I don't believe it's merely conjecture to say the moon can move us, can influence us, and can benefit us in our magic. And besides, full moon, that means werewolves. Everybody knows that. Okay, story time. In Greek mythology, Lycaon, the son of Pelasgus, who was a king of Argos, royally fucked up hardcore when he served the god Zeus dinner made out of the remains of a teenaged boy that had been sacrificed. Whoops. As punishment, Zeus turned Lycaon and all of his male progeny into wolves. Why am I telling you this? Because according to Greek mythology, it happened on a full moon. That's the etymology of the word lycan, which comes from lycanthrope, which means someone suffers from lycanthropy, which means they're a werewolf. And y'all, werewolves are real. If you don't believe me, you should watch What We Do in the Shadows. Start with the movie, then watch the series. You'll thank me afterwards. And remember, they're werewolves, not swearwolves. Typically, there are 12 full moons in a year, which makes sense, one for each month. But because our Gregorian calendar was created in 1582 by Pope Gregory XIII, and it's not really what you'd call synchronized with our astronomical movements and events, and we've had a couple of technological advances in the last 438 years, a few. So, sometimes instead of 12 full moons, we have 13 full moons. The extra full moon that happens in a month is the blue moon. This year, Halloween, Samhain, was a blue moon, which was super auspicious. It didn't make 2020 any less of a flaming bag of raw sewage, but it was a nice little nugget. While most of the moon rituals we hear about on television and movies are for full moons, our moon has a whole buttload of phases besides her full phase. Well, seven other phases. Eight if you consider the dark moon. Maybe not a buttload, but, no pun intended, all of the moon's seven or eight other phases have their own individual types of energy and allow us to work specific kinds of magic during these different phases. But I'll get to the full moon in a minute. I'm gonna do the phases of the moon in order. The new moon is the first phase of our moon. It begins the moment the moon becomes visible in the evening sky, after having waned until she's gone completely dark. As this is the first phase of the moon, the new moon is the first of four moon phases perfectly suited for magic concerning new beginnings. 
new chapters in your life. Striking out and creating something brand new, a new job, starting a new creative venture. If you're a writer with writer's block, put down the pen or the Chromebook or however it is you write and wait until the new moon to start again after doing a little new moon spell work to receive your inspiration or be visited by your muse. The new moon may also help you see things with fresh new eyes, a new perspective. If something has caused you unnecessary frustration, meditate on the new moon and try to see it from a different direction or that fresh perspective I mentioned a moment ago. The new moon is for sowing. And by sowing, I mean seeds, either figuratively or literal seeds. What you sow on a new moon can be reaped on the full moon, either the full moon approaching in this moon cycle or a full moon sometime in the future that you've planned. You'll have the opportunity to nurture the seeds you've sown over the next three waxing moon phases. And by the way, about literal seeds, it's perfectly auspicious to plant seeds or cuttings at the new moon so the plant can grow as the moon grows. The second phase of the moon, which is the first increase in the appearance of the moon, is the waxing crescent moon. If you've ever seen the triple goddess symbol, this is the crescent to the left side of the full moon. Unless you're in the southern hemisphere, then it would be the crescent moon to the right of the full moon. This is the maiden phase of the moon. Only one quarter of the moon is showing. If you performed spell work on the new moon, specifically for any sort of new beginnings, you can boost the energy for that spell work on the waxing crescent. It's just a gentle yet firm push to keep things moving. If you missed the new moon and didn't have the opportunity to start something new, to create any kind of new beginning, you can do so on this phase of the moon. The next is the first quarter moon. It's when the moon is a semicircle and only half of it is visible in the sky. As this phase of the moon is still waxing or increasing, it's also a great phase for growth. Again, you can start something new on the first quarter and you can give your previously cast spells a witchy kick in the ass to boost its momentum. The first quarter is also a fantastic moon phase for divination. The last phase of the waxing or increasing moon is the waxing gibbous. The word gibbous, by the way, just means that the visible part of the moon is greater than half, yet still not full. The waxing gibbous moon looks kind of like a convex lens. Think about your projects, either business-related or creative, even emotionally. If any of them seem to have stalled out or gone stagnant, the waxing gibbous moon is the right time to try and get things going again. If you have any speed bumps in your way keeping you from being able to see the end goal, this is the right time to sort of get over that hump, so to speak. Which brings us to the full moon. Full moon magic often includes celebrating a deity. Most often that's a goddess, but it certainly doesn't have to be. There are some traditions that celebrate the moon as male. Still, the moon is most usually associated with moon goddesses, like the Greek goddess Artemis, sometimes called Selene, or her Roman counterpart Diana, also called Luna, all of whom were sometimes called Cynthia, if that's not confusing. 
Full moon rituals, also called espets, are often performed to honor the goddess of your choosing, but also just to celebrate the moon herself in all her glory. If you're non-theistic like I am, that's how your moon rituals might go, just celebrating the full moon and the energy that you can derive from the full moon. It's also the optimal time for harvesting energy, as this is the time the moon is at her peak. You can feel it. I think I've mentioned before that on the night of the full moon, anything I want to charge ends up on a windowsill that will be bathed in full moonlight nearly all night long. Crystals, tarot decks, witchy jewelry that you might wear every day or just in ritual, other stones and gems, and any of your altar tools. Anything at all that you want to be charged with the energy of the beautiful full moon. And that includes yourself. I'm not suggesting that you elf on the shelf yourself by sitting on a windowsill. But that was a tongue twister. Just go outside if you can. Outstretch your arms and let the light of the moon just wash over you. Feel the energy as you're bathed in that full moonlight. If you're unable to go outside, that's okay. Just get as close as you can. And if you're unable to get into the moonlight at all, use your very strong powers of visualization and take in the energy that way. The full moon is also the time to perform spell work involving protection or wishing spells, setting your intentions, and reaping what you've sown on the new moon. And here's one of my favorites. Letting go. Releasing that which no longer serves you. That's what you do on the full moon. I'll throw in a quick, simple full moon ritual at the end of this podcast. Once the moon has reached her peak of fullness, 100% full, very shortly after that, she begins to wane, meaning the appearance of her fullness begins to diminish. This is the waning gibbous phase. Just as the appearance of the moon is decreasing, so does the magic we practice in the waning gibbous phase. We're reducing, decreasing, removing. This is not the same as releasing that which no longer serves you, as we did with the full moon. The waning gibbous phase is when we begin the process of letting go, or of saying farewell and moving on. It's good for what you might consider a slower release, not a cold turkey, but sort of a time-released removal, decrease, or reduction. The next phase of the moon is called the last quarter. It's the semicircle again, but this time the opposite half of the moon is visible from the first quarter. We're continuing along the same way we did with the waxing phases, but I'm sure you've noticed that the waning phases are pretty much just the opposite energies from the waxing phases. So that means any magic you've done in the waning gibbous or the full moon can be empowered, given a boost during this last quarter moon. You can work on breaking a curse during the last quarter moon if you feel you or someone you care about has been cursed. The second to the last phase of the moon is the waning crescent. This is the final quarter of the moon's cycle. The horns of the crescent moon are visible at this point. This is the old moon. Using the triple goddess symbol as an example again, this is the crescent to the right side of the full moon. This is the crone beginning to emerge. 
Waning crescent moon rituals are the perfect time for endings. Unlike the waning gibbous moon, the waning crescent is good for more abrupt endings. Think banishings. Communication with spirit is easier during this phase of the moon, as is communication with ancestors and ancients. You might find witches using pendulums and spirit or Ouija boards on the waning crescent. It's not as easy as it was on Samhain when the veil is at its absolute thinnest, but it's much more doable than the previous moon phases. Just remember, abrupt endings, banishings, and spirit communication are all appropriate for the waning crescent moon. This very last phase is not acknowledged or celebrated by all witches, and sometimes it's viewed as kind of controversial. But here's a secret. This is my favorite phase. It's not one of the phases that usually make it to a lunar phase chart, so of the eight total moon phases I talked about before, this would be number nine. The Dark Moon. If you thought divination and spirit communication were easy on the waning crescent moon, wait till you give it a shot on the dark moon. The dark moon is used for destructive magic. And while that sounds super scary and evil, and I, I guess sometimes it is, it's the polar opposite of the energies found with the full moon, and therein lies balance. That balance is necessary. You can't have light without the dark, and vice versa. A lot of witches and practitioners may advise against performing any sort of ritual or magic during the dark moon. You do what you're comfortable with. You do you. Protection magic is wholly appropriate during the dark moon, as is cursing if necessary. And if you listen to my episode about setting wards, you may remember that the full moon and the dark moon are both optimal times for that sort of protection magic. If you want to set your wards in the dark without being illuminated by the light of the moon, the dark moon is the time to do that. Along with several other types of magic that you might want a very dark night for. The dark moon is the perfect time for shadow work as well. Earlier, when I mentioned blue moons and how they're the extra full moon in a month's time, there's also a such thing as a black moon. A black moon is when there is a second new moon in a calendar month. They only occur about every two and a half years. We actually had a black moon this year on Tuesday, August 20th. Spells cast on a black moon are often said to be much more effective and powerful than spells cast on just a new moon. Despite the name Black Moon, which sounds like Dark Moon, a black moon is best for the same sort of magic you'd cast on a new moon. I mean, it is a new moon. So, new beginnings, new ventures, manifesting your needs and desires, just with the energy in sort of a full tilt boogie turbo mode. Magic worked on the black moon can hit pretty hard and pack quite a punch. If you want to start planning, the next black moon is April 30th, 2022, when the moon is in Taurus. 
Okay, I promised you a quick, simple, full moon ritual at the end of this podcast, and here it is. There are just a few things you'll need for this ritual. I'll list those items on the description for this episode. If you can go outside for this ritual to be beneath the moon, do that. If you cannot, no worries. Try and find some moonlight if you're able, or use those awesome powers of visualization again. That's why you have them. In a silver-colored bowl, stainless steel works for me, but really any bowl will do, place your favorite crystals that don't dissolve in water and some dimes or silver coins or anything else you'd like to charge that is waterproof. Fill the bowl halfway with fresh water. On a piece of paper, write down something you'd like to be rid of that no longer serves you. That can be a habit, a job, a behavior, a person. Cast a circle if that's what you normally do. Then light a candle. Remember, a white candle will work for any other color candle. You can also light a silver candle if you have one. That's moon appropriate as well. If you are calling to a moon deity or a moon goddess, address this deity directly. If you're a non-theist, address the moon herself directly. You can call her Luna, Selene, or Lady of the Moon, or just Moon. Announce to whomever you're addressing your intentions to release whatever it is that you're releasing that no longer serves you. Don't feel the need to explain your intention. Just speak with conviction, sincerity, and respect. Touch the piece of paper to the flame of the candle and hold it carefully as long as you can as it burns without burning yourself. As the smoke wafts away from you, visualize the thing you are releasing leaving you. Allow the last part of the paper to burn in a fireproof container on whatever altar or tabletop you're using. You can let the candle burn down on its own or extinguish it if you need to. Allow yourself some time in the moonlight if you're able to go outside. Breathe it in and breathe out the thing that you're letting go of. Express your gratitude to whomever or whatever you called to join you and close out your circle and ritual as you normally would. If you're able to do so, leave the bowl of water out under the moonlight overnight to allow the crystals or talismans or amulets to charge in the moonlight. Bottle the water the next day after removing the items from the water. This is charged moon water. You can refrigerate it for up to two months. Don't drink it. Just take my word for it on that. You can use your charged moon water in any spells you wish after that. And here's a pro tip. You can freeze your moon water in ice cube trays and just pop out a single ice cube for moon water for each ritual or spell as you need it. And the frozen charged moon water pretty much keeps indefinitely. If it happens to be raining on your full moon and you can't actually see the moon, fear not. She's up there, just shrouded by clouds. Set a bowl outside and collect rainwater that falls on a full moon for an extra special charged moon water. And if it's a particularly angry storm, you've got yourself some super aggressive angry storm full moon water, all charged up and ready to go. I even have full moon charged snow 
still frozen and in the back of our big freezer. I'm something of a moon water hoarder, I'm starting to realize. But you need a special something when you gotta put a motherfucker in a jar, you know? Next week, I'll continue this episode with part two of Moon Magic. And we'll talk about lunar eclipse energy and magic, drawing down the moon, and I'll throw a few more moon magic spells in there as well. There's a brand new podcast every Wednesday. And as always, if you have questions or comments about this or any other episode of this podcast, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future episode, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay at home. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Please wear your goddamn motherfucking mask. I hope you never hunger, and I hope you never thirst. As above, so below. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe. I'm Molly Dyer. This is Witchcraft, Off the Beaten Path.